You're listening to Human Hackers, where we talk human and online. With Phil Richards and Ian Hopkinson. Here we are again, Phil. We keep doing this. And today we are talking about storytelling. We've primed and ready for this. Another trip back down the rabbit hole, potentially. Um, but yeah, storytelling, it's, it's something that excites me. Storytelling excites me. Yeah, I can tell that because it's it's pretty much the it's a pretty much the basis on how we work. It's also the basis for changing how we work. So there's two pretty powerful reasons why storytelling is something we need to delve into a little deeper. And who better to have on the show, the program, the pod, than Violetta Balhas, probably the greatest writer I've ever known, and she's probably going to try and talk us out of that because she's so modest. But welcome, Violetta. Thank you. And I'm not modest. I just think you need to get out amongst more more writers. Please <laughs> do me a favour. I do not want this honour thrust upon me. <laughs> I'm going to put that in all of the all of the sort of promotional materials as well, just to embarrass you. You can take it. I'm embarrassment proof, so yes. Okay, let's do it. Come on, let's go, guys. <laughs> so, the, I guess the interesting thing is probably probably from a how does it fit into hackers? I suppose is is, is one of the questions here because we're, we're dealing with online and and human. Where does story really fit in that equation? And the answer is it fits everywhere throughout both of those areas, and that the stories we tell ourselves, uh, how those stories manifest into our behaviours and our capabilities, and then how that's then reflected and translated into the online space and a variety of other spaces as well. So it's sort of, it's inherent in, in human is the storytelling process. And I guess that's something that um, a lot of people probably struggle with too, Violeta. Yeah, absolutely. I think we don't really realise just how pervasive stories are. And I don't like to say that we are hardwired to do anything, but I think storytelling is probably the exception. Um if it isn't hardwired, it's just so enmeshed into the way that we are built that um, once you learn to identify it, you see it everywhere. But uh, if you're not aware of it, you, you wouldn't see it. But it's definitely there. It guides us. Um, we Because we look for patterns, uh, we create them as well. So um, it's there in every aspect of our lives, including the way we conduct business. And it's one of those things, the interesting th- thing, Violetta, too, is that where you've got, uh, you mentioned about it, something that is so pervasive. I think that a lot of things in life that we're not aware of are probably the most powerful elements, too. They're the things that the body is, is automated and they're fundamental to our survival in lots of ways as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And this is the way that survival happened. Um, You know, people around a campfire telling stories of, you know, what they'd done that day, the mastodon they'd brought down. It actually taught lessons about, you know, how to hunt the mastodon, what to be careful of when hunting the mastodon, you know, what to do next time. Um, And it gets passed on and on and it gets couched in layers of meaning as well. As you go on, you've got... um, You've got fairy tales that, you know, are essentially, um, I don't know, telling young women to watch out for wolves. You know, you tell me what that means, you know. Um, They're designed to to convey information in really subtle and powerful ways. Um, But doing it in in a way that is is palatable so that they're not 
Um, they're not lessons. They're not necessarily moralistic. Um, you you receive the story, and if you're ready for it, if you're willing to delve into it, you get all the layers of meaning. Am I the only one who doesn't know what a mastodon is? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just some big prehistoric animal. Yeah, that's what I figured. With something probably uh, the spines, uh, up and down know. its spine, there'd be pointy bits in or something like that. I I'd think say. it was like a giant wombat. So imagine a wombat, but it's like the size of a house. That's I how always, I like to imagine a mastodon. I always, I always <laughs> learn something from you, Violetta, every time I talk to you. I, know, I could be wrong. All the paleontologists in the audience are just, well, this is not a mastodon. I'll tell you what a mastodon is. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. I'm trying to spell it at the moment, trying to write it down. But, um, no, look, I think, I think that's really true. I think we probably, as you say, take it for granted that stories do connect us and we are always looking for that connection and that belonging and and meaning and stories just seem to be the fabric that holds us together don't they absolutely they connect us and they identify us and opening up to stories actually does both and uh Forbidding stories does the opposite. So a really effective, if horrible, example to me was um, it was something that uh, our previous Prime Minister, John Howard, did, was stopping journalists from interviewing asylum seekers uh, who were in these detention centres. And as soon as you stop these people being able to tell their stories, you can effectively think of them as the other Incredibly effective and something that's that since carried on. I wouldn't suggest it, but that just gives you an idea of the power that a story can have because as soon as you heard these stories, of course, your heart would connect to that heart. Your own personal story would connect to that story uh, and that person would become human to you. They would become a real, live, multifaceted human being rather than an issue to be dealt with. So it's really important to understand that um, when you want to engage with human beings, that the story is part of what makes them up and they, um, and it's their right to define what their story is going to be, even if it's not particularly palatable to us. The interesting thing there too, Violeta, is that the we're talking about, I guess it's a narrative, the, you know, the thing with the, the recent American election was, it was mm. all about the narrative and they were talking about the networks, what they were doing, the different media outlets and so on. But there's, there's also the, the, the two levels of story too, I guess, where the, you know, the story that I tell myself about myself and then necessarily the story that I'm representing in, in many ways to the rest of the world as well. Yeah. And then I may also have a, another story sitting in a Facebook profile or a LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. And it's just—it's an interesting way to look at it, and, and I suppose I hadn't considered um, the full power of stories in terms of impact in in societal structures and and directions of you know nations, countries, continents, even um, in terms of how how well that needs to be understood in terms of its impact and its potential to shift the way we even live. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the power of story is one of those things that 
loomed large in these um, elections, which I, I I watched with with bated breath. It was um, it was quite the nerve wracking experience for me. But um, one of the things that I found really interesting was that element of story, and it was um, the element of story about democracy, you know, and saying, well, this is democracy, and we are the greatest democracy, and um, and some of us were going, well, are you sure this is democracy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Are you? I don't know. Is that really? Yeah. And those of us like me who have lived through a dictatorship going, well, I've lived through this before. This uh, bears some of the hallmarks that I lived through. So, um, but that there are people who will cling to this story they tell themselves because um, being confronted with evidence that isn't true can actually provoke a, a major crisis, like a major personal crisis. And you, you kind of see this, uh, uh, we might be getting off the topic, but no, all good. you see this often. Um, there can be a gap of as long as seven years between the story you tell yourself um, and realising that the story you've been telling yourself isn't actually true. Um, that's part of what can cause that midlife slump that happens to people if, if not full-blown crisis, that suddenly you go, oh, hang on a minute, I thought I was this young go-getter and all of a sudden I, I'm not. I'm, I'm middle-aged with a mortgage and I've been stuck in the same position for the last however many years and being confronted with that evidence that the story you tell yourself is not true Um can make you go in either direction. Uh, ideally, it will get you constructing a new story that's, you know, that will be healthier for you. But if you don't do that, then you can expect a lot of grinding of nerves uh, as you fight, your story fights with compelling reality. It's interesting on that front, Violeta, in that the it's always our own reference points, I guess, uh, are always a good place to be in terms of trying to describe things. In my case, I've documented my life since 1993. Wow. So so literally I can go back all those years, 27 years, and, and tell you what I was you know, feeling, thinking in uh, July 1996. And I occasionally go back and do that. And it sort of backs up what you're saying there and that you, you're looking at what, what was I telling myself all those years ago and what am I doing now? And it's amazing when you start to look at what the patterns were, what the thinking patterns were back then around the story that I had, the story about myself, the story about the world, and, and see how much it has or hasn't changed in mm. those yep. uh, ensuing 27 years. For sure. Um, in terms of what I still haven't done necessarily that was on the agenda 27 years ago versus the other circumstances that have, have happened in life. And then it's, it causes you to sit back and have a bit of a view of the world, sort of disassociated. Yep. I guess to be able to then step back and see the fact this story has been told, to see the outcome that you're referring to, I guess that becomes the fuel for change as well, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And you and I have talked a little bit about this, Ian, but um, over the past few years I've had a bit of a long fallow uh, of creativity and I've been telling myself the story that I'm a writer since I was eight, you know, I... My mum encouraged me to write because that's what I wanted to do and I got published when I was really young and I've been telling myself this story for a long time. Um, and uh, a, not too long ago I 
I descri- I realised I was describing myself as a writer, and I went, "Hang on a minute, what 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 writing are you doing?" And uh, and that was a major major slap upside the head, and I had to do something. Uh, I either let go of this story um, that I've been living with uh, since I was eight, or I quickly adjust my life in order that that is congruent once again. And I know what I chose and I'm happy that I made my choice. <laughs> that's that's huge. I appreciate you sharing that with us because we do build these identities in our minds, I suppose, the stories that we tell ourselves, and then we also project that to the world. Um, you know, friends, family, Facebook profiles, etc. But then there's the actual, you know, what is the definition or what's the meaning that is connected to that you know what what am I doing I I, I have the same I mean I'm sure Phil you can um, relate to this as well this idea of you know when you're an entrepreneurial spirit the journey that you go on um, most of the time and I think this is probably how you know you're an entrepreneurial spirit most of the time you're going so what am I (laughs) (laughs) what do I actually do (laughs) and I'm always looking talking to people and saying, well, you know, what do I do, you know? And it's, and it's, it's a nice, tidy tight thing to put on it and say you're an entrepreneur. Um, but there's so many different facets to that. It, it's true. Um, it's like a permanent identity crisis being an entrepreneur, really. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Or, or you embrace everything that it means. I love the story of um, Carrie Fisher. who We all loved Carrie Fisher, but she... Um, I read an interview about her one time, the journo who visited her house on her couch was this massive cushion that said dilettante on it and that's how she saw herself as a dilettante because she was an actress and she was a writer and she directed and and she sang and she did all of these things and just, uh, you know, she embraced that, that she was going to do be doing um, any one of a million things at any given time. And uh, and I think embracing that's that's pretty cool, I reckon. Oh, for sure. And 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 that's I mean, I struggled with that in music for so long mm. because I, I I thought I was a musician, but I was there was more to it than that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Reassessment, readjustment. Yep. Yep. Bounce, bouncing off other people, um, but ultimately it's the action feel isn't it really that um that we take when we're having those thoughts when we're going through that i I hesitate to call it a crisis i think that's probably a word that's a bit overused and agreed um you know and probably a bit out of place in in this on this subject um let's come up with a new name now uh ian what are you what are you going to call it if it is a crisis then then our whole whole life's a crisis you know, so I, I, mm. that's that's what I that's what I don't like about it. Yeah. It's an adjustment. An adjustment. Just an adjustment. It's yeah. a midlife adjustment. It's. I, I guess the the interesting thing I find is that it's the dimensions to all of this, as in the number of elements involved and how we represent it as well. Mm. So I, I guess, you know, you come up with a basic storyline. I guess for you later to say this is, or you come up with the concept that want to tell a story about something, which is a bit like labelling someone as an entrepreneur or labelling ourselves as an entrepreneur. A convenient um, title that seems to be the right thing to do, 
and that exists right up to the point we probably try to put pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard yep. in terms of what is the story we need to tell. And that's when it starts <laughs> to expose all these other elements um, that are involved in the story. There's, the, there's a linking of the pieces. There's events. There's meaning to those events, that how that's painting the bigger picture of what the story's about. And then there's also the representation of that story to the rest of the world. And I, I think linking that comment back to the, the comment about um, uh, the midlife adjustment. Um, there, there's a, a uh, an awareness piece that I think starts to kick in. I think we almost get bored in some ways as we get older. There's a realisation that we've been in, playing a game that was around a story that wasn't necessarily true mm. and was probably more than likely serving a societal need rather than an individual need. And, and you realise that you've been in that game and that it's maybe not the right thing to do right now. Maybe more time needs to be spent on doing the things that, that fuel us as individuals more rather than what the societal needs are around us. And I think that, you know, the story sits at the heart of all of this, which is why it's such a fascinating space, both in terms of how it's structured, how it's created in the case of the writing role that you do. And then probably from my point of view is how it's triggered to change. So the, the power of telling a different story to expose a different view of the world, a different perspective, and what that opens up in someone's mind in that moment that then triggers them to make some change in life. So it's got so there's so many multiple dimensions to this whole thing about stories and storytelling. Mm. Mm. We're both going, hmm. Did I go too far then? Hmm. There's a lot in what you just said. No, no, no. There's a lot there. It's, it's good. Well, no, there's there's just yeah, there's a lot there, and you just presented us with a with a whole bunch of uh, rabbit holes rather than than just the one. And look, I think um, going back to well, one of the things. Let's let's grab one of the aspects of the many things you said. Um, the one about compelling people to act, motivating them to act. So I think this is, this is one of my hobby horses here because when storytelling was adopted by business, it, it, um, it got overly simplified in many ways. And one of the things that kind of got set aside because it's not convenient for people to to really think about is that who cares factor. And um, early in my professional writing career, I had a mentor who said to me that as I was writing, I had to constantly ask myself, so what, who cares? So what, who cares? Um, Because without that, there's a real arrogance in indulging a story that um, is not necessarily the story that anyone else might be interested in. And, um, And chances are that if your story isn't interesting or compelling to anyone else, it's because there's something about it at a deep fundamental level that you haven't quite examined. It might be perhaps... Um, not quite authentic, not quite true, or perhaps not fully analysed. So it's really important when you are um, constructing your stories that you ask yourself, so what? Who cares? And then move forward with the telling of the story because 
it's not just about you. If it were just about you, then it would be your diary. But even your diary, you kind of suspect that someone at some stage is going to pick it up. If it's not your older sister, it's going to be when you're dead and gone and someone's going to go, oh, look what dad found or oh, how embarrassment. <laughs> and, you know, we... <laughs> We write these things as if they're going to be read. So there's always an invisible audience there. And the demand of the story is that you consider the audience and asking yourself, why should they care? And if there is no reason for them to care, then giving them a reason to care. Mm. So... All of a sudden, that makes a storytelling a lot more than just a simple little uh, thing that you do. It's fraught with responsibility. And I guess that this is one of the reasons why it's been overly simplified for people who want to... Um, who, who want to tell stories for their business because no one likes the idea of sitting down and asking themselves what's essentially a really, really difficult question. So what? Who cares? Why should they care? Am I willing to um, get them to care? Um, from my point of view, it's 100% worth, worth telling because storytelling is a branding function, right? But if you think that branding is something that's uh, something fluffy, you're 100% wrong. It's actually making your business work harder for you and it's saving you so much money um, in customer acquisition, in um, customer attrition, um, all kinds of things. So it's actually a really, really important function of what you do. So um, it's, it's worth embracing and taking it seriously rather than something that you do as, as uh, I don't know, as a postscript, so to speak. You're listening to Human Hackers. Stick around. So when you say over oversimplifying, is this I can hear I can hear people out there in business now listening to this saying Oh, you just you just write about your pain the pain points. You just understand the pain points of your customer and and you just write about them and and you just you just speak to those and 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 you roll out case studies and 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 you you put it in a hip language and <laughs> uh you know oh, just, and you cause me pain I know. Well, and you just and 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 that's that's all it is well but the people saying this you ask them when was the last time that they were absolutely gripped by something that just did that mm I wasn't. Like, for me, it needs to come with other stuff. Um, and I know I've said this again, uh, before rather, and I'll say it again, that everything's been said, everything has been done, every story has been told. And the point is doing it once more with feeling. And it's the once more with feelings that we are looking for. It's not just about uh, addressing the pain points it's how you address the pain point. What is that juncture of connection that you are actually going to create? So this whole idea of this is all you do, you know what it's like? It's, um, 
I don't know, maybe I'm going to be talking to myself here, but for any of your listeners who might be familiar with Monty Python, they had a great little skit, which was, um, it was a kid's <laughs> show, right? And it was like, how to conduct brain surgery <laughs> and how to build a box girder bridge. Okay, so, you know, this week we're going to teach you how to conduct... <laughs> Brain surgery. So this is what you do. So you go to school and you get good marks and you go to university and you learn how to become a brain surgeon and then you jolly well do brain surgery on someone. <laughs> oh, this is, and... this is so spot on from what <laughs> Phil and I have been talking about in some other episodes. So, so that's what you get with storytelling. It's someone saying, okay, so what you need is a beginning, yeah. a middle, and an end. And in the yes. beginning, yeah. you get a snappy start, and then in the middle, you address the pain points, and at the end, you wrap it all nicely in a big bow, and you're going to have millions of readers, listeners, whatever, and yep. bang, that's it, <laughs> magic. And bang, the money rolls yeah. in. You make the sales. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing with that, too, is that it comes back to the, the so what, who cares bit, too, Violetta. Yeah. And that, and that the... Um, in the so what who's who cares inherently has two things there's a there's a level of vulnerability and there's also a level of groundedness required which means it accepts and acknowledges and allows that vulnerability to exist and be okay with it in some ways mm. and so some of that connection stuff and this is what we're seeing now i think in the world is we're saying we're over all the stories that are being told in the you know in the mindset of that monty python uh, sketch you just described <laughs> Um, where the simplification has gone to a whole new level and it's it's all about enticing people in because of the apparent simplicity in lots of ways or for some other manipulative um, agenda. The, the the genuineness of how the story is told, the, the the realness, the groundedness, the vulnerability, all that stuff is has is, is got to be in there to get those emotional triggers, the emotional charge, which is the bit that naturally attracts us. We don't decide to be interested in something. We just find ourselves interested in something. We almost fall into that space because there's something that's been said that we can identify with that actually probably resonates with the vulnerability that we may have yeah. or a circumstance that we've experienced. Mm. And it just gets us into that space at the time. And, and that's, I think there's a, like, from what I can see right now, there's just uh, such a need for that groundedness and that vulnerability and those more lower level human factors to start to be integrated in quite openly into the storytelling process because people are aching for that now. They're, 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 they seem to be over the artificialness of the stories that are being told by big business, by corporates and by governments in order to seemingly manipulate them. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? You're so right, and this is one of the reasons I hope that a whole bunch of um, fiction writers would uh, would go and, and, and do marketing because this is something that fiction writers understand really well. Um, they understand that they are constructing a world that um, people have to want to inhabit. And anything that does not fit that world makes people snap out of a waking trance. And those of us who can tell a typo at, at you know, 100 paces know the pain of really being into a book and all of a sudden seeing a typo and all of a sudden 
you see the writer, you see the writer and you see that they're a fallible human being and you get angry and you're not angry because of the typo. You are angry because you've just been rudely pulled out of this fictional world. How dare they do this to you? And it's the same when you are constructing <laughs> stories for your business is that you know, your business, your brand, the stories you tell, they have to be this world that you create and people have to want to enter it. And everything needs to be in perfect, uh, working in perfect unison with each other. Otherwise, if there's a, an off note, they're, they're going to snap out of it. They're going to notice when the incongruencies are there and they're not going to forgive you for it. Or if they do, it's going to take time, effort, possibly money. That happened to me this morning. Oh, I, I was reading ouch. an ABC News article oh, and the there's, a typo. Oh. there's a typo in the first paragraph. I sent them a private message saying, sorry to be that guy, but this needs a final proofread. <laughs> I just thought maybe they'll appreciate me telling them before lots of people read it and tell them publicly. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it, but uh, but I, I got frustrated because it was a really interesting article and I was very into it. And I went, "Oh, typo!" So I can relate That's to that. That's it. That's a good yeah. Good analogy. And you snapped out of it. You snapped out of it. Yeah. I did. Yeah. You're looking very thoughtful at the moment, Phil. I know that I know that this is a podcast and people can't see us, but I just want to let the audience know that you're looking very thoughtful right now. I, uh, I, I'm wishing we can talk to Vera Leader for the next hour and a half. Ian, I think uh, a bit like you return the serve, then Vera Leader. When I when I delivered that sort of barrage of of, uh, of rabbit hole opportunities before, <laughs> I think you probably did the same to me in return just then. <laughs> I, I, I'm just. I was, I was interested in the fiction writers and the, and the fact that there's, you know, the imaginative component of of the human mind um, and variety of sources, whether it's insight, you know, or, or intuition or imagination in its own right, um, that feed the process of story creation. And and then you look at the fiction writing you've just been talking about, where there's such an attraction to this make believe world. And there's, there's an irony to that in the sense that we take our world as being, quote, real, and then we've got the fictional world over there, which is, quote, not real, but the realities are both worlds are just as unreal as one another. Yeah, they absolutely are. And we don't, we don't truly appreciate, from a pure storytelling point of view, we don't truly appreciate both the or the, the, the power and the, the, the pleasure and the opportunity that can be created by actually embracing and accepting the fact that we are the author of everything that we interact with in our, quote, world, whether mm. it be real or not, depending on who you are. So, you know, the, the storytelling that's going on inherently in that and the opportunity to live a more fulfilled life. This is extending things out quite a distance, I know, but mm. the, the opportunity to live a more fulfilled life sits around the fact, part of it sits around the fact that you've got to embrace that that power and that opportunity, that privilege that you've got to be able to actually structure that world in your mind. Um, and, you know, I guess that, that fuels me in terms of knowing that anything's possible, mm. you know, in, in terms of what you choose to do. Yeah. And, that, and that's... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess moving, moving into that, you know, influence space, which is 
really ideal, you know, that's, that's another thing that businesses are doing at the moment, isn't it, as well? You have to influence people, you know, do yeah. this, this and this and you'll get, you know, yeah. this plus this plus this equals influence. Um, it's yeah. magic, you know. Um, yeah, that's that's another another space. But I suppose that, you know, in the context of online, that's the real magic comes when people are wearing their heart on their sleeve. They are not just telling the story of what it is that they do, but of who they are. And that's when that actual magic can take place is, is like Phil was saying earlier there's that that connection or that alignment that is made because there's a shared experience or there's something that it brings up from the past or um, you can relate to it and it draws you in and and you know people throw these words around like authentic and genuine and it's got to be you know speak yeah. your truth and all these sorts of things and and we probably all we all cringe, but but when it truly oh, but do. when it truly is from <coughs> yeah, and when it truly is from the from the heart though, when someone is really wearing their heart on their sleeve, um, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs do this very well because most of the time uh, they are quite creative and they are quite stream of consciousness in the in the way that they mm. live. They're just expressive, yep. and they're almost sort of sharing their internal world with the with you know with others and that's really powerful it can be it can be let me interrupt and say not always <laughs> not always because no not always but yeah and not always in a good way <laughs> yeah because the thing is that there's that so what who cares and at some point um you need to be ready to find that that juncture of where does your story meet with your audience's story otherwise you're just navel gazing so if you are of a bent where it comes naturally to you to tell your story, that's great. But you have to be willing to go that extra step of telling your story in a way that actually meets where your audience is at. Yep. And that, I guess, is where the influence happens. However, it's still, it's still really challenging. And, and the idea that, that, you know, all you need to do is X, Y and Z to influence people, that's a function of people actually just being incredibly um, confused at the moment because the fact is that um, markets, people as a market, have never in the history of marketing been as unpredictable as what they are today um, because we're operating in a completely different world than we've had. This digital space provides us with choices that we've never had in this world. And as, as a human race, we're trying to navigate it. So we're not as predictable as we used to be. We're not as easy to influence. Um, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to to that that juncture, having having something that makes people want to connect with you. Um, and yeah, and you, you need to be vulnerable enough to, to enter that space. And I know that, you know, a, lo a lot of people get atrophied when they have to tell their story. And I think that that's the fundamental fear. It's not about, um, 
the technical aspect of telling their story, but it's a fundamental fear that people won't want to connect mm. to that story. Like, if I tell you this, what will you do with what I've just entrusted you with? Um, because there's, uh, there are few feelings worse than telling your truth and either not being listened to or having it be um, dismissed, ignored, um, ridiculed. So I think that that's what's at the base of the atrophy and the solution is to find that juncture where human being meets human being. We'll be back shortly with Human Hackers. It's a belongingness piece in lots of ways too. Um, in what you've just described, mm. um, Violetta. And that, and, and again, the, the irony in that is that the belongingness implies um, external approval, so it's a dependency piece at the same time. And I guess my observation of people that are telling their story, that the ones that have connected, I've connected with the most or can identify with or naturally have an emotional reaction to, um, it generally hasn't been... It's it's it might have been a selfless act, but it hasn't involved any aspect of needing to belong. And it's the the fact that they've chosen to do something, or you know, act in a certain way, um, despite the fact that society might have said they needed to do something different, despite the fact the risk was in place. So there's almost they're navigating from that internal compass of what I'd call the, the do what is right principle that we all have but we choose to overwrite or ignore or put to one side, cast to one side, for the convenience of wanting to meet this external need to belong. And I guess um, a lot of my circumstances have been in extreme circumstances, as in where life or property has been at risk as well. And that's where you see the side of people where, you know, the story is a very real story in those moments where there's, there's no cover, you know, there's no, someone at, you know, 2.30 in the morning that has had a, um, you know, a cardiac arrest um, and they're assisting in the recess, for example, while their partner's standing there. There's, there's a rawness to that where that none of these other artificial factors we've alluded to in this discussion are even there. So you've almost got, you're distilling almost the pure human do what is right raw emotional moment. Hmm. And I guess from a story writer's point of view, from a writer's point of view, the ability to capture that or to create that, I guess, as a writer, um, is an incredible talent that a lot of people don't have. Hmm. Look, it's um, that that's something that's um, that's often debated. Can you teach it? Can you? Um, are you born with it? Uh, obviously, people aren't born with it because we're not born with the ability to read and write. Um, but I think that if you're willing to learn, um, you can go a long way. And if you have the desire, you can go a long way. And, you know, and, and this is despite, um, despite faults. So... Um, there are many, many, many famous writers who are not perfect, but they've found their audience. Um, and this goes for 
for business writers, it goes for fiction, for best-selling authors, like real ones, not not ones that had, that were on the Amazon best-selling list for like two minutes and then they said, oh. <laughs> real, real ones, real ones. Real so it's ones. more than two minutes. For uh, you more than two That's minutes. more than okay. two minutes. So we're talking millions of copies sold. <laughs> the ones that bought their own books. Yeah, yeah, they bought their own books in, in the first hour. But they're not in the garage. They're actually out in the world. Um, and their writing isn't perfect, but, um, but they've still found their audience. And, and there's a great deal to be said about that because um, it is a craft and, um, and it's one that you have to decide whether it's something that you want to devote yourself to because the big secret of this, and if, um, if you're going to boil down any of what I say to, to what you can do in your own business, be consistency um, and you have to be willing to, to go the distance with your storytelling and that requires time and effort so um if you didn't get it right the first time the second time the fifth time the 20th time are you willing to keep at it Mm. um if you are chances are that riches are waiting for you as you develop that muscle but if you aren't just be honest and that's its own story (laughs) Honestly saying, you know what, this is not for me. This is for somebody else. Give it to the professionals and they can do it for you. And that is fine, absolutely fine. I've got a follow-on question there, uh, Violeta. So what I was seeking in asking the question I did or posing that the question I did was trying to find out what what the mechanism is that allows those writers to be good. And what you've described there is the exposure to the environment by being consistent. You don't get it right the first time, do the second, third, fourth, and so on. So, is it is it just is a is a is a good writer simply someone that's been exposed uh, many times in different ways at different levels, and they simply just uh, sort of absorb all the variety of experiences and nuances that have been in those circumstances. Some of those they've had real life experiences themselves. They haven't engaged in the process of trying to write a story for someone else about something. They've actually been there and engaged in, in, the, in the process themselves. They've observed themselves and they've actually learnt how they craft their own story, whether it be in their head or whether it's written down. Is, is the, the, the really good writer a person that's done it that way, where they've had these life experiences but they've become an observer of themselves and they've actually inherently learnt how these things fit together and then as a result of that, that becomes a craft that they can execute for other people because they inherently know what to look for. But even then when they're doing it, they're not actually going out and looking for elements. They're almost feeling the way in, in a process of finding out what they need to know and inherently almost smelling a moment where they need to ask another question mm. about that client and what they've done and why they've done it because they know there's something, there's something of, you know, a bit of gold dust sitting below there that they know they can incorporate into the story that they're writing for that client. Mm. Yes and no, because there are many different ways of doing it. Um, I would say that if we were to limit to what we have experienced, um, then we we limit what we can do. Um, but at the end of the day, 
we, we're still dipping into our own selves, aren't we? Um, when we're describing emotion, when we are imagining how people feel until such a time as we can actually live, like literally live, live in someone else's brain. Our own brains, our own bodies are all that we have got to draw on. So there's always an imagination piece. Um, you imagine how this would feel. You imagine how this would be for you. But at the same time, you have to be profoundly interested. I, uh, you know, all good storytellers are interested in themselves. Of course, you know, we're all a bit up ourselves. We love our own stories. But you also <laughs> have to be profoundly interested in other people's stories. And you have to be um, willing to be open and, and listen, like really, really listen. And and this is um, incredibly powerful because the more specific you're able to get um, with the stories you you both tell and you listen to, that's the key to universality. The, the key to, to universal stories isn't writing or creating general stories. It's getting incredibly specific. So you can have people absolutely engaged with somebody whose life has been nothing like yours and yet you feel so incredibly close to them. And I, uh, uh, the most compelling um, modern example that I know of this is um, Humans of New York, whom I've been absolutely riveted by since the day it started. And um, Brandon Stanton, um, whose, whose project it is, he's gone around the world now and he has interviewed everybody from refugees to, uh, to strippers. And you cannot help but be absolutely um, connected to these people. The ability to actually listen and, and extract the meaning from the stories that they tell and then refine them, that is the key to good storytelling. So you will refine them, you'll put them through your own filters, but you have to be willing to be open to those in the first place. When I, when I got in the early days of you know, songwriting, I got quite enthralled by the whole creative process most of the songs that I wrote were about movies that I saw. Mm. You know, I was, I was yeah. early 20s and I was, oh, I'm going to be a songwriter. I didn't yeah. think that my life is interesting enough to write about. <laughs> so, so I went looking for other people's stories and lives to, for inspiration. And I think actually the first, one of the first songs was when I saw Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Um an amazing movie, an amazing story. And it just fed this whole creative process that led to a song, which was nothing, was nothing to do with my life. Maybe I was relating the story to my life. But, but yeah. the, the crux of it was it was about that movie. Yeah, absolutely. And look, it, it was good enough for Paul McCartney. You know, he made up stories. Mm. And, um, you know, you'd had 
John Lennon singing about himself and Paul McCartney singing about other people that he made up or he read about in the newspaper. And that's incredibly valid. Mm. Um, And I am one of my favourite songs um, by an old but great group called The Go-Betweens. It came to one of the songwriters as a dream and up until that point, his life had been, oh, he was a Queensland boy. You know, he hadn't had much of a life experience in Queensland. He was a muso. Um, he had this amazing dream about this guy who wasn't necessarily him, but about this guy walking down the street and passing by a secondhand furniture shop and seeing his old furniture there from when he'd split up from his partner. I wrote this great song called Secondhand Furniture. And I thought, what a brilliant thing. Mm. And um, and I can imagine that. And I can imagine that feeling because I'm a human. And even though it came from a dream, I can imagine what that would feel like. Mm. And ultimately, can you, yeah. You, yeah. And, and ultimately... I mean, bring it back to sort of the branding element with with business. Um, you're expressing your values and your beliefs. Of course. And you when are. you're creating these stories, whether they be songs or, or otherwise, uh, you're conveying your beliefs, and and yep. that's when the magic happens. That's when there's some sort of expectation that you're setting. That's when the alignment. Um, and the connection occur, uh, and that to me is when it's exciting. I get excited when I'm on the receiving end of of that, and I go and I'm observing that that actually happening to me, and I'm enjoying every moment of it, and saying, "Yes, why doesn't this happen all the time? Why aren't people <laughs> this thoughtful about what they're putting out there?" Uh, so yeah, I can really relate to to that you know, big time. Well. <clears throat> look, they, they haven't been that thoughtful for the same reasons that we are not thoughtful about all of the things that we know that we should be doing because people are saying that we should be doing. Right. So, um, so, yeah, we should be, okay, we should be eating more fibre. <laughs> we will eat more fibre for a few days until someone puts a piece of white bread in front of us, okay? We should be... Um, telling stories we will tell a few stories until something else comes along so i i think that um it's the shoulds that kind of kill us um the coulds are actually where story sits because story is all about the could what the could or the would what would happen if just think about this what if and that's where story resides, in the what if, in the could, in the would, not in the should. And as soon as you adopt that should, your storytelling functions already go up. That's it. Mm. That's it. It just becomes something else to do. And, of course, you're going to hate it before you even begin. Mm. That's, that's, a, that's a perfect – I was just writing down there later. I thought, okay, we've done an overview of story in its own right, and I've written down connection, I've written down change, and as, because I feel like we need to probably have another couple of chats, (laughs) (laughs) there's just so much in this, but 
but I guess what you've just described there is really about the change bit. Well, um, yeah. And, yeah, and, and so we've got an overview of the, you know, what what's, we've explored a range of areas around what storytelling is. And and it's almost like I, I feel like there's a there's a connection piece in this as a, a follow-on and there's probably a, a change piece as well yeah. again, in terms of how we could structure this. Yep, for sure. And there's yeah. a lot to talk about here because that's actually what story is. It's um, connection is what it does. But change is what it actually is, and where people yeah, the get, outcome, yeah. yeah. So it's the outcome, but but it's also what story is. A story does not exist without a moment of change or conflict. Otherwise, you're describing conditions rather than story, right? A story is only a story when you are describing change or conflict. Otherwise, you're just describing conditions. Nobody wants to know about conditions, and you know this from, uh, you know, again, we're hardwired for stories. All fairy tales begin the same. Once upon a time there was a blah, 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 blah. That's condition. That's the conditions of the story. As soon as you read, and then one day, that's the cue. Something changed, something happened. There's a movement. There's a movement. That's the story. One hell of a trip, eh? It always is, but uh, my brain just shattered into a thousand pieces in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic, Violetta. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's mm. been heaps of fun. Thanks for thanks for coming yeah. along. And uh, uh, we've got so much to think about, Phil, with our own with our own storytelling. Oh, there's just opportunity everywhere there, and, and I guess for those that are listening in, Violetta. As usual, Violetta, we, we tend to create more things to do in every podcast because it just opens up the next level, you know, and, and away you go again. It's just a, another reset I help. Like you get to – you think there's like, you know, four camps before you get to the peak of the mountain and you realise that you, you got to the fourth one. There's actually another four to go. And so you just got to keep climbing. It's going to keep opening the can up again and, you know, see what uh, see what turns up in the conversation. It's been – it's been has been it has been fantastic. That wasn't uh, blowing wind in any direction. That was literally the, you've demonstrated very clearly, you know, the level of experience and capability and skill set uh, that backs up what Ian described you as as one of the one of the the best riders or the best rider that he's come across um, in uh, in you know in what you're doing. And I'm just looking forward to the next discussions uh, as to where that goes. And for people listening in that want to contact you, what's the best way of, of contacting you? Probably um, I've got a little contact form on my website. Oh, it's actually really old, violettabalhas.com. That's V-I-O-L-E-T-A-B-A-L-H-A-S.com or LinkedIn uh, if they have any questions. I'm sure that if they are your listeners, they're going to be high-quality people and I'm happy to answer questions if they have any. Otherwise, they can just go through you guys and you piff them onto me. It's good. Fantastic, Ian. I like your website. And there's some really quality content on there, which is not surprising. Oh, but it's ancient. I know, but and, it's still good. And I've been still telling good. other stories. I've been telling other stories. So, yeah, maybe next time I come along I'll... I'll come talk about the other stories I'm telling. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much for your letter. Yeah, thanks for your letter. Thank you. Catch you soon. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to Human Hackers, where we talk human and online.
Phil Richards and Ian Hopkinson. <laughs>